I, um, there, there are moments in, in our lives when, that you remember distinctly more than, than others. And they tend to be either moments of, you know, uh, of incredible uh, heights or moments of incredible lows. We kind of tend to remember the extremes. And I'll never forget the afternoon I walked into uh, Wendy and I's bedroom uh, there at our house on Columbus. And I felt the distinct relational chill. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Now, the thing you need to know about Wendy and me is that um, we are together all the time. We work together for the same company in a home office. When, uh, when we, we serve, we serve on the, the team doing the, the videotape and direction and production here in third, we serve together. One of us would be on a camera, one would be the director. When uh, we do things outside, recreationally, we like the same things. We served on the board of our local community theater for 13 years together. We were in plays together. Everything we do is together. We're around each other 24-7. Now, there's some of you in there that are going, yeah, we couldn't do that. <laughs> I get it. But for us, it works. Which meant that when I walked in that room and I felt the relational chill, it hit me more than maybe it hits others. And I felt this chasm between Wendy and me. And in that moment, I can remember my heart um, lamenting, like Kathy talked about last week. How long, oh Lord? How long will anything ever be right again? Let's pray. God, I pray for all in this room who are in this day, in this moment, in this hour, in sitting in this pew, are feeling alone in their own personal exile whose heart is lamenting how long will anything be right again? Help us, Lord. Open our eyes, open our ears, open our spirits to hear from you this morning and what you have to say to us in that moment, in that place of aloneness and exile. In your name, I pray, amen. My name is Tom Vanderwell. For those of you who don't know me, I, uh, during the week, uh, serve as uh, president and CEO of a market research firm uh, that's centered here in Pella called Intelligentics. Uh, but then uh, I have the pleasure and privilege of serving as sort of the chair of the teaching team here at Third Church. Uh, and on a regular basis, Kevin and the teachers who teach in the auditorium down the hallway. Uh, if you don't know, there's an auditorium down the hallway that has services at the same time. And there's a whole team of us that get together on a regular basis and work together to do the teaching on Sunday mornings. And I get a, a chance to, to serve as kind of the, the leader of that. So glad to be with you this morning in the sanctuary. Uh, for those of you who are visiting and 
I know during the holidays we get a lot of visitors and, and guests and family in from out of town. So real quick, I want to give you the cliff note version of where we're at as a church to give you some context for this morning. Number one, Pastor Kevin has been leading us for, through an, for an entire year. He's going to be leading us through a theme of exile. Now, exile in its simplest form just simply means to be away from home. So uh, if you're, you know, person lives in one spot and then all finds themselves in a foreign country, they're in exile. But exile has a much broader theme. And what we've learned is that, that this great story from Genesis in the beginning to Revelation when eternity happens, it, it, this, the overarching theme is one of exile. I've been telling the folks in the auditorium, go to Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve are in the garden of Eden and they're there, they're living with God in intimacy. There is, you know, there are, it's all good in the garden. And then Adam and Eve sin and God, what? He banishes them. They leave the garden. They leave that eternal, intimate relationship with God. And from that moment, humanity is in exile. So this great story is about this, our journey of exile, being separated from God into the Revelation 22, where we are united once again in eternity in relationship with Christ. That's the story. But it's also a recurring theme. Exile, you find it, almost every major biblical character had a, had a period of exile from Abram to Joseph to Daniel to David to Jesus. So exile is this recurring theme. So we're digging into that. But right now, at the end of, uh, beginning of December, we started a five-week series that Mike introduced us to called Advent, where we have five weeks of heart preparation for Christmas and the first coming of the Christ child. But I want you to know that Advent is not, we didn't leave the theme of exile. It's not like, oh, exile, stop. We're going to do Advent for five weeks, and then we're going to pick it up again, because Exile is part of the theme of Advent as well. In fact, we're just going to push deeper into the theme of exile during the season of Advent. So in Advent, two weeks ago, uh, Tim Brand shared with us that that first week, as Mike shared, is about looking forward. We're still waiting for this reunion, this final eternal union with Christ when he comes again and restores his kingdom. So we look forward to that. Last week, Kathy Haug shared with us, it's the week of lament. How long, oh Lord, how long do I have to, to, to be in this suffering? And it's important for us to understand that exile can also be a spiritual exile. Exile could be a situation we find ourselves. It could be a loss of a job, and I find uh, that gone. It could be uh, going through a time of grief from a death of a loved one that any time where you're just sort of feeling isolated and alone and separate from God and separate from others and just struggling to get through is a period of exile. So let's go to God's word because this week we're going to turn from lament towards joy and the anticipation of joy. Psalm 126 is where we're going to start. We've got two scriptures that are... Uh, the lectionary prescribes for Advent this year. The first one is Psalm 126. And you'll notice that right underneath where it says Psalm 126, it says a song of ascents. That means that it was a, a psalm that the Hebrews sang as they were ascending 
Mount Zion to worship God. So it's a song of worship and preparation for worship. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying the sheaves of harvest with them. Now we're going to go to Luke, the first chapter, beginning in verse 5. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Why is that important? Because only descendants of Aaron could be priests. So in saying this, he's saying both Zechariah and Elizabeth were priest, part of the priestly family of God. So we've got uh, Elizabeth, his wife, and both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty, what does that mean? There were up to 80,000 priests at this point in time. So if you were a priest, you maybe lived uh, you know, in another area, but one week out of the year, you would get to go with your division of priests and serve in the temple. Well, this was Zechariah's week on duty. And he was chosen by lot. Why? Because there's so many priests the burning of incense, only one priest could enter in to burn the incense and be in the presence of God. So there are so many priests, they drew straws. So Zechariah fell to him. So he got, in that one week out of the year, he was the one priest that got to go in and burn the incense. So he goes in, verse 10, and when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And the, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I mean, I'm an old man and my wife, she ain't in baby making years anymore. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent, and you won't be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he'd seen a vision because he kept making signs, but he couldn't speak. And when the time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this, she said. In the days she has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. 
Now we're going to skip up to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard this, that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child as they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. So they made a sign to his father to find out what he would like to name, to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. And all the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be for the Lord's hand is with him? People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I want you to know that I, I usually always find me in the auditorium. It's kind of where I do my duty. And uh, it's only like once or twice a year I am asked to teach here in the sanctuary. So the last time, it, one of the last times I had was, was Advent last year, this same week of Advent, and I got assigned the same scripture. So the teaching team was together and I said, man, I got, this is the same stuff I had last year. And Kevin, Kevin said, I'll just preach the same servant. Nobody remembers what you said. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. If you were here, um, I shared last year that about Wendy and I and our journey of exile through the valley of infertility just like Zachariah and Elizabeth. And I cannot read the story of Zachariah without, without reading his words and feeling his heart as a husband who has walked with a wife for years, decades, month after month, hoping for a child, and month after month, feeling the grief and the death of that hope. So if you're interested that message is still in the archives out on YouTube and on trcpel.com, so we go back and listen to it. I'm, I'm going to go a different way, but I want to stick, however, to this theme because the reality is that we all experience these times of personal exile. And there were some things that I learned with Wendy in that journey through infertility that I'd like to share with you this morning. Because the most important lesson that God had for us in that long journey of infertility was joy, okay, joy. Three points I'd like to make this morning. Number one, the seeds of joy are planted in the soil of death and suffering. Let me say that again. The seeds of joy are planted in the soil of death and it's rooted in suffering. What did we read in 126, Psalm 126? Let me go back there. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying the seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, 
at the harvest. So you don't get to joy without the suffering and the death. It's like Jesus said, unless a seed is buried in the ground and dies and is buried, it doesn't grow the roots and spring up and bear fruit. So think of it this way. Happiness, happiness is like a wildflower, a little Iowa wildflower, you know, that springs up anywhere, comes up through the cracks in the cement pavement. It'll come up in our gravel road and it's just this tiny little flower and it's kind of cute and everything, but as soon as the sun gets hot or the wind blows, it withers and dies because it has no structure. That's happiness that just comes and goes in a moment circumstance. Joy is something far deeper. It is far richer because it is sown in the soil of death. Its roots go down through suffering. So when it comes up and the joy blooms, it is a perennial that blooms over and over and over and over again because it's strong and it's deep. It's rooted in what God has done. And this, just understand this, this is the paradigm through all of scripture. Elizabeth's joy of having John was rooted in, again, years, decades of being ashamed and barren and grieving. Let me tell you something about going through infertility. Um, by the way, just a quick story because people get confused sometimes. Uh, Wendy and I's daughters, Taylor and, and Madison, were daughters of mine from my first marriage. So when we got married, Taylor and Madison were young teenagers. But we had desired and hoped to have children of our own, and we tried for many, many years and did all the stuff. And, and it didn't happen. So please kind of understand that. But let me tell you something about infertility. Infertility, there's a certain amount of isolation because even those who've been through infertility, you don't want to talk to them. Because those who went through it and ended up having babies, it's like, oh yeah, well yeah, you had your baby. And you feel isolated. You don't want to hear that because it may not happen for you. So you don't want to get your hopes up. But you also don't want to talk to the people that have been through it and didn't have babies. Because I don't want to face the reality that it might not happen. So you just stay in this thing. And all your friends that have babies don't understand. So you are stuck alone. And that's what Elizabeth was going through. And her joy with John came through years, months, decades of that suffering, that shame. In Lamentations, Jeremiah says a famous verse, we quote it all the time, though weeping lasts through the night, joy comes in the morning. What you don't realize is that that's from the book of Lamentations that was written when Jeremiah was standing in the destruction of Jerusalem. The Babylonians had laid siege to it. Nobody could get in or out. People starved to death. In fact, Jeremiah says that, that people ate the flesh of their own children to stay alive. The temple was destroyed. Their homes were burned. People were taken in exile. There was death and despair everywhere. And it's out of that that Jeremiah says, joy comes in the morning. The joy of eternity comes from the exile of this world. We don't get to, to eternity without the, the exile slog. Jesus, in fact, Phil DeBoof last week in the auditorium talked about the fact that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave, Lazarus come forth and there was a joy of his resurrection. The tears, Jesus' tears were still dried on his cheeks. 
First, Jesus wept. He felt the grief. And then he raised raised Lazarus from the dead. Even when Jesus rose from the dead, his followers were still experiencing the grief of his death and crucifixion. You see what I'm saying? You've got to go through the suffering to get through the joy. You don't get there any other way. So one of the things that Wendy and I learned is this. And Wendy, by the way, uh, talked about her story in the auditorium in August. And I encourage any of you that would be interested to go back and pull up the YouTube. And she, she said it so well. But one of the things that we learned in that is that James 1, 2, and 3, consider it joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect work in you, that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, but notice, as we're going through our exile of infertility, what we understood was that, look, I don't feel joy. I just feel the trials. But I have to Consider it joy, which is a choice of the mind and it is a choice of the heart. So if you are in exile today, if you are suffering a certain kind of isolation, persecution, I want you to know that joy just doesn't come. And Jesus just isn't going to go, oh, here it is. It starts when we choose to consider that God has something bigger in store. And Wendy had this kind of, uh, the saying that she went through, and, and I learned it, we went through it together, and we went it over and over and over again. It's like this little mantra, and it, was, it went like this. If God is good, and I believe that he is, and if God loves me and has my best interest at heart and has a hope and a future for me, like promised in Jeremiah, and I believe that he does, then I am going to trust that whatever it is that I'm going through in this moment, God is going to lead me through to a place of joy and that I'm going to experience all the goodness that he has for me. You see what that is? Because I may not feel it in the moment, but I'm going to consider it. And we went through that over over and over and over again. And by the way, just saying that, it doesn't like short circuit you, all of a sudden you've got joy. It's the anticipation of joy and the trust that it's going to come and it's gonna come and it's gonna come. And here's the next point. The emergence of joy is dependent on time. Now what's interesting is that back to Genesis chapter one, the beginning of creation, in verse two, it says, God created light and dark, said, let there be light, and separated the light from the darkness, and there was one day. That's the beginning of time. Time is a construct of, uh, of creation. Then if you go forward to, I think it's verse 14 or 16, it's, what's interesting is, then he creates the sun and the moon. Well, wait a minute. If there's no sun and moon, how do we get the light and the darkness? Uh-huh. Put your finger there. If you go all the way to Revelation 22, in the new eternity, in the new heaven and new earth, it says in verse five of chapter 22, you know what? There is no more night and there is no more sun. Why? Because the glory of God gives light for all for eternity. But in between there and here, we have this thing called time. What did Gabriel say to Zechariah? These things will happen, Zechariah, at the appointed time. 
What's really funny is that if you go back a few chapters, the very last book of the Old Testament, um, the very last book of the Old Testament is the Italian prophet Malachi. That always works. Malachi, and at the very end, the last verses of the Old Testament, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Does that sound familiar? Because Gabriel says to Zechariah, he is going to go before the Lord in the power and spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children that disobedient. So this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. Guess what? For Hundred years between Malachi and John the Baptist. Things happen at their appointed time. So if you are going through a personal exile today, if you are find yourself in a place where you're feeling isolated and alone and, and, uh, and abandoned by God and everybody else and feeling isolated, I want you to know this. Things happen in time you will have joy. What did we learn in 1 Peter, the end of 1 Peter chapter five, when we were talking about exile just a month ago? Humble yourself therefore before the mighty hand of God so that in due time, he will lift you up. Hang in there. Consider it joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the test of your faith produces endurance. And what is endurance? Endurance is continuing on through time, believing that I am gonna get through this to the joy. And point number three, I don't share the joy if I don't share the pain. When I walked into that bedroom and I felt the, the, the chill, and I felt the chasm between Wendy and me. I knew what it was. She was in the valley of exile, in her infertility, and in the struggle and the grief. I was standing on the edge of the valley. Boy! Look at her, stinks to be you. Empathy and sympathy. People get this wrong, believe it or not. Go check out the, the dictionary. Empathy, because I teach this in customer service training all the time. Empathy is the intellectual identification with what somebody else is going through. I identify it. Yep, I'm gonna think about, yeah, I'm gonna identify with what you're going through. I may not feel the same thing, but I'm going to identify it. Sympathy is when you step into somebody's pain and you feel it with them. So I was here having empathy, but she was in pain and I wasn't there with her. I was, I was being the stupid man, kind of going, well, I don't understand these things. And Holy Spirit led me in that time to understand that number one, I had to be present with her. When she was crying and hurting 
and feeling the depth of despair. I had to be present in that moment with her, with her in all of her pain. And then one Sunday we were in the auditorium and I was praying and the Holy Spirit's like, no, Tom, you, you have to feel her. And I don't know how to explain it any more to say that during worship in the auditorium this one Sunday, my heart, my heart broke. And I, I entered into her pain. And from that moment on, we were together in it. So our journey became a shared journey. And the joy that we have learned is ours to share together. But I don't get that unless I walk into the pain with her. So look at this, this thing that the little graphic in the flourishing in exile. I want to I real quickly share this because I just realized this. Identity. I knew that my identity in Christ is also to be a husband, helpmate, partner with Wendy. But we didn't have the depth, uh, the belonging, because we weren't together in this. She was in one place, I was in another. We didn't belong. So it's a created for deep connection with others. It wasn't until I connected with her in her pain that we could go on and discover what the purpose. As we said, God, we believe that you are good and you have our best interest at heart, and we're going to seek your purpose for us in this journey, which led then to intimacy. Do you remember when Kevin said that what Kevin and Lane have experienced in the grief of their death of their son, Kirk, is far more intimate than anything that they've experienced sexually between the two of them as husband and wife? I get that. Because going through the pain and the intimacy of grief and suffering is deeper and more meaningful than sex. And what happens then when you fulfill it so that you're flourishing in exile? The joy comes. So, brothers and sisters, here's the thing. Wherever God is leading us at Third Church, wherever he is leading us in the purpose that he has for us, I can guarantee you this the degree to which we will experience his joy will be connected to the degree to which we are willing to step in to each other's pain and to the pain of those that we're to, called to love and to minister to in the name of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And here's how I'd like to end this morning. I would like um, just to have a time. I'm simply going to ask this. If you are somebody who is right now feeling like you're in the depth of a valley, whatever it is, loss of a relationship, health concerns, death of a loved one, infertility, sickness, and terminal illness, whatever it is, but you're just feeling that I'm all alone in this and I'm, I get it, I don't feel the joy. I would like to just ask if anybody would allow us to, if you'd be willing to stand right where you're at. And as people stand, 
as we worship together, I'm just going to ask for our elders and our deacons and uh, those in leadership here and those who are around, any who would stand, to just, as we worship, reach out, lay a hand on, and pray over that person. Will you allow us to step into your pain with you and to just reach out and pray over you? Father, I just pray that you would uh, allow this morning to be a turning towards joy as we consider the pain of others and we claim the promises of the joy to come and the purpose for which you have us walking through exile. Would anybody be willing to stand this morning quietly? You can ask right now. Anyone? Thank you. Thank you. It's not too late. I'm going to ask the worship team to continue and to... Uh, And we're going to sing a song as we do, those who have stood, and it's no, you can stand at any time. If you see someone standing, we come around and pray over them. I ask to do that. The elders are going to come, and anyone who knows Christ as their Lord and Savior, come and share communion with the elders as the worship team sings. And uh, please, let's just stand and reach out and pray over those who have stood. Worship team, let's go ahead.
Last lesson on joy is this. One of the beauties of joy is that it never loses the pain. In fact, the beauty of joy is that it retains always a shade of the pain. It's still rooted in it. So don't think that when you move on to joy that you forget the pain and everything is wonderful and it's all gone. In fact, if we continue to realize that the beauty of our joy came out of the root of our pain. And that's part of what makes it so beautiful. Remember that. And as you go, may the love of God the Father embrace you, even those parts of you that you feel are unlovable. May the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ pour over you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, even those sins that you think are unforgivable. And may the presence and power of Holy Spirit and his peace guard your heart and your mind in Christ this day, each day, until we meet again. God bless you. Have a Merry Christmas.